The sermon text for today is found in Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. You can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 1527. Listen as I read God's word. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on the stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here in Elmwood. And uh, if you look around the room and you see some men who look especially tired 
and haggard and sunburned today, that is because we just got back from our men's camping trip and um, we stayed up late and we slept on the ground and we hiked all day with no female supervision and um, this is why we are the way that we are today and why we feel the way that we feel. Uh, We made mostly good choices while we were gone, just so you know. Uh, Do you want to see some pictures of our trip? So we went up to Gooseberry Falls, and uh, we went out by Lake Superior the first night and spent probably an hour literally throwing rocks into the lake. And uh, for whatever reason, that was super enjoyable. So uh, that was awesome. We Then that night, it's kind of hard to see in this picture, but there was some northern lights out. So we sat there around the campfire and saw the northern lights. That was awesome. The next day, we hiked down to the upper and lower falls there at Gooseberry, and um, yeah, plenty of plenty of great photos uh, of all of us together. I can't really see it, but Tim in the background, Tim looks awesome. And uh, we also promised that there would be danger. And so there was some danger. <laughs> Where, Of course, this is Tyler sitting on the edge, hanging over a waterfall. Uh, but this is what we did. So uh, it was a great time. We all um, were all exhausted, but we all feel like it was well worth the trip up there. So It was wonderful. So if you weren't able to make it this year, uh, we're sorry about that. But if uh, next year you're able to go, uh, the more the merrier. It's just uh, we get better at doing this every time we do it. So uh, we're excited for uh, planning what's on the books for next year. So ladies, this is your challenge because the ladies are going camping in a couple weekends. And so uh, they get to find some awesome things to do as well. So one of the things that we have done over the course of our series in the book of Mark is leave some space during the beginning of the message portion uh, to hear what God is doing in your life as you read the book of Mark. And what we're doing today is a little bit different. Uh, we talked about this in the weekly email that we sent out. Uh, we just got through this series looking at these spiritual rhythms, and we thought that while that is sort of fresh on our minds, that we would, over the next couple of weeks, just sort of put out a very specific question related to those spiritual rhythms. And so today, the question that I wanted to pose to you, that I would love to hear some feedback from you on, is uh, this question, which of the five spiritual rhythms most stood out to you and why? So I'd love to uh, hear from a couple of you, so if you just want to raise your hand, as is always the case, I will hold the microphone, and uh, if you'd keep it under about a minute, that'd be wonderful, and we'll just hear from a couple of you before we move on. Well, I've just been feeling like Sabbath. I really need to have some Sabbath times. And I'm not doing a Sabbath day, but I'm trying to, at least some mornings, have like a Sabbath time. A Sabbath half hour, a Sabbath hour hour with the Lord, and it helps. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Someone else? Oh, I'm so sorry. Here I am assuming that, well, didn't you, weren't you guys here for the series? You know all five, right? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, so the five were, who wants to shout them out? Bible. Bible prayer, prayer. Sabbath. Sabbath community. community mission. mission. See, Benjamin, you were wrong. They all know it. Lise. 
I just appreciated what you said in the community message when you said, wherever you are, choose to be all in. Sometimes I think it feels like I should be everywhere and be all in everywhere, but that's not how God has designed us in our limited humanity. So wherever he puts you, be all in. Else? Well, it's just kind of interesting when people are interested in the Sabbath. Jesus said that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And he wanted, and he has a spirit that we would, the Father would dwell in him, he would dwell in the Father, and he would dwell in us. So Jesus, wherever he is, is the Sabbath. And if you walk daily with him, every day is the Sabbath, and every day you're following his words. So uh, the Sabbath isn't just uh, something that's out there for one day a week or even one time in the day. It's a continual relationship that you have with Jesus because wherever he is, there is the Sabbath. Yeah, it's not limited just to that one day per week. Someone else? Chad first, and then I'll go over to Glennis. Just really reflected the way that you gave us advice, John, on Bible, where uh, you you told us to set aside any sense of expectations that we have, and to paraphrase what you said, to not underestimate the cumulative effect of normal everyday obedience. Uh, it's just so true, and it's so healthy and life giving to to be in the Word that way. I found this section on prayer very interesting because I've always thought that prayer had to be in the morning, before meals, at night. Prayer can be any time you feel so moved. And I feel so moved quite often. <laughs> more Chelsea Uh, so I realized that I wanted to work more on um, mission and I find myself to be so much like Martha being um, more stuck in task oriented uh, rather than Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus and being more people oriented and sharing his love with others and how that has just affected my life and um, how I'm convicted to be more people focused and focus on the love of Jesus. So good. Thanks, everyone. As we come to this passage in the book of Mark today, would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, we worship you because you came proclaiming the message of the kingdom. We worship you because you made known to us the way of life. And we thank you that you are so generous 
towards us. We ask Jesus that as we look at this passage today and as we think about parables, that you would help us to understand them. But please don't let it be just an intellectual exercise. Please help us understand them that we might know you and live rightly. We desire to leave here today different people than when we came, and so we need the work and the help and the power of your Holy Spirit to make that happen. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be present with us in a unique and special way, even right now for these next moments. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are back in the book of Mark today, and as we come to this passage, we're coming to a new section in the book of Mark. And one of the things that we find here is in chapter 4 in particular, there's this concentration of parables, but not just parables, also teaching about parables. And the way that Mark sort of lays out this chapter here in chapter 4 is somewhat unusual for us as modern readers. It's a little bit circular meaning that he gives a parable and then sandwiched in the middle of it is teaching about parables. And then after he explains the parable, he then tells more parables about parables. And then he tells more parables and it can feel a little bit uh, confusing to us. And so what I thought that we would do, uh, what I thought would maybe be the most helpful way to approach this for our purposes in chapter four is to spend today looking at Jesus's teaching about parables, which is really gonna help set us up for next week when we look specifically at the parable of the soils, and then the following week as we look at the parables of the kingdom, the the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time today looking at Jesus's teaching about parables. And as we do, the sort of the main idea that I'd like to explore with you this morning is this, the parables of Jesus are a means of judgment and a means of grace. It's kind of what we're going to look at here today. The parables of Jesus are both a means of judgment and a means of grace. And of course, this is not everything that the Bible has to say about parables. But it is what Jesus says right here. And so I want to sort of camp on this for just a few moments here. So first, let's think together about how the parables of Jesus are a means of judgment. If you're familiar with the teaching of Jesus, you know that he speaks often in what's called parables. And you see them throughout his teaching and throughout his ministry. But here in Mark chapter 4 and in places like Matthew chapter 13, we see something of a concentration of these parables. And here in Mark 4, he actually gives us uh, some help to understand uh, how to listen to parables. And so one of the things he tells us about parables is that to understand them means to realize that they are in part a means of judgment. Not entirely, not exclusively, but one aspect of parables is that they are an act of judgment. So listen to what Jesus tells his disciples. He gives this parable of the soils, and then his followers come to him afterwards and say, Jesus, could you give us a little bit of help understanding what it is that you're talking about? You know, we want to understand this. And so Jesus says to them in verse 11, he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that... They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, I think if most of us are honest, that feels a little bit sort of, uh, we're taken aback a little bit by that, right? That feels a little bit um, 
Uh, aggressive is maybe the wrong word, but it feels a little bit like, whoa, that feels uncomfortable to me, that God would use parables as an act of judgment, so that for the purpose that the minds of the people would be blinded. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know, I've always thought that parables were like cute little illustrations. They were supposed to make Jesus' teaching more understandable. They were supposed to be a way of, you know, relating the message of Jesus to that particular cultural environment or cultural moment. And so they were supposed to, you know, be, make Jesus' teaching more accessible. And that's true in part, but there's another aspect to it. And Jesus tells us here that parables are intended, one of the purposes of parables is that they are a means of God's judgment. Now, of course, when we hear that, the image that maybe you have in your mind is you may have an image of there's a whole bunch of people who really want to hear and understand the message of the kingdom, and God says no. Right? Like there's, there's all these people that are just begging God, I want to understand, I want to hear the message, and God sort of, you know, maniacally says, no, you will not understand, and then he blinds their minds so that it's impossible for them to, to hear or receive the message. We should drag that into the trash bin folder on the desktop of our minds because that's not what's happening here, okay? We know that's not what's happening because Jesus here quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And what that means is when Jesus or anyone else quotes from another part of the Bible, we have to go back and say, well, what in the world is Isaiah chapter 6 about in the first place? Because that helps us understand what Jesus is saying in this passage. So in Isaiah 6, God commissioned the prophet Isaiah to go preach the message to the people of Israel and gave him maybe one of the most miserable ministry callings in the entire Bible, where he says, I'm going to call you. You're going to do one thing. You're going to go preach. Also, no one's going to listen. You're going to preach. Everyone is going to completely ignore you. And so this is the ministry calling that Isaiah was given, and he was commissioned by God to go pronounce the message, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. And so Isaiah is given this ministry task, his preaching, his ministry, we're told, is going to be fruitless in a way, but it's not because the message of Isaiah caused the hearts of the people to become hardened. His message would be fruitless because the hearts of the people were already hardened. So in the beginning of Isaiah, the whole book opens with this pronouncement of God's coming judgment and discipline on his people because the hearts of the people are already hardened against God. In chapter 5, he gives us a picture of them being a fruitless vineyard. So the people have already abandoned the covenant. The people have already rebelled against God. The people have already uh, had their hearts hardened and turned away from him. And so it's not Isaiah's preaching that is going to cause the hearts of the people to become hardened. It will certainly further harden their hearts. It will accelerate the hardness that's already there. But Isaiah's message is not what actually causes the hardness to be there in the first place. The people's hearts are already hardened. And so he's called to announce a message that will, for some, lead them to embrace the message of the kingdom, that will lead them to trust God, and for some, it will lead to their hearts being even further hardened. And so Jesus takes this image of what we see happening with the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus takes this, and he uses this to explain why he teaches in parables. In other words, Jesus is saying, what we see here is that his teaching and parables will have the same effect on his listeners as Isaiah's preaching had on his listeners. There will be a hardening effect to the teaching and to the preaching of Jesus, and specifically to Jesus using these parables. So 
in part, this is an act of God's judgment. Does that make sense? Make sense? We're all on the same page with that? If this is all we knew about parables, <laughs> we would feel really uncomfortable with this, right? This would feel uh, very disturbing to us if all we knew about parables was that you know, half of what Jesus said was in this form that was a form of judgment. Thankfully, that's not all we know about the parables. We know the parables are simultaneously both a means of God's judgment as well as a means of grace. The parables are a means of grace, and we see this as we look to these other parables that Jesus tells in verses 21 through 25. Now, I've always found, you know, the parable of the lamp on the stand and the parable of uh, the measures, I've always found these really confusing until I realize, oh, these are Jesus teaching us in parables. He's teaching us about parables. (laughs) And so let's look at this uh, picture of the lamp on the stand. So verse 21, Jesus says, do you bring in a lamp? to put it under a bowl or a bed. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let them hear. We take it for granted, don't we, that virtually every single building that we ever enter has utilities such as running water and plumbing and electricity. So any time of day, we can flip on a light switch, and we never have to worry about being stuck in the dark, except this was not the world that most people have lived in for most of human history. So you transport yourself back into the first century world, where your only source of light after the sun went down was to create a small fire inside of your home. And so there were these lamps that looked something like this. Uh, These were clay lamps that were filled with olive oil, and there was a wick It was shoved down in there, and this is how you would light your home after it was dark outside. Now, in the first century world, because we're so used to having free access, not free, but we're used to having uh, sort of unlimited access to electricity, we don't realize that light in the first century was a precious commodity, and that there was times of the day where you could not see anything. And there was no, like, you know, glow of the city, there was no street lights, there was none of that. So you're just in pitch darkness, And so you'd use one of these lamps, and the point that Jesus is making is obvious, that no one takes one of these lamps and lights it and then puts it somewhere where that light can be obstructed. No, you take one of these lamps and you put it where it's going to cast the most amount of light into the house. You put it in a place where it's going to shed its light far and wide. And so in this parable, the light of the lamp represents the message of the kingdom which is not meant to be concealed, it's meant to be revealed. That's what the parable of the lamp is saying. The light that shines forth is the message of the kingdom, and the point that Jesus is making is that God has designed, God desires the message of the kingdom not to be concealed, but to be revealed. We know this because Jesus says it. Verse 22, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. And not only this, we see if you were to sit down and read chapter 4 all as one sort of big unit, you would see a lot of language that Jesus uses for listening. So the, the, the parable of the soils begins with Jesus saying, listen. It ends with Jesus saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. Then at the end of this parable of the lamp, Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. He begins the following parable by saying, consider carefully what you hear. So Jesus is speaking in parables, and the clear, obvious point is that he is wanting the message of the kingdom to be heard. 
And so on the one hand, yes, parables are, are in some ways a means of judgment. And at the very same time, they're also a means of God's grace. He desires the message of the kingdom to be heard. So we've got to hold these two things simultaneously at the same time and sort of hold them in a little bit of attention. Now, the reason that parables are a means of grace is because they are easy to understand. So for the most part, you don't need a Bible degree to pick up the parable of the soils and understand the gist of what it's saying. There are some parables that, you know, would require you to have a little bit of uh, historical context to really understand the full meaning. You might have to do a little bit of, say, first century sleuthing to understand some of these parables. But by and large, the parables, you can sort of get the gist of them on face value. And the simplicity and the clarity of parables is what makes them a means of God's grace. Do you know what makes the parables a means of judgment? That they are easy to understand. That's what makes them a means of God's judgment, is that there is no hiding behind, well, I didn't understand what you were saying, Jesus. I didn't get the message. It was too hard for me. No, part of what makes the parables a means of God's judgment is that they are easy to understand. There is a hardening effect to the simplicity and to the clarity of parables. So when Jesus tells parables, the simplicity of them, the clarity of what Jesus is saying, it forces us to respond. And choosing not to respond is, in fact, a choosing a kind of response. So when we hear the message of the kingdom in the parables, we have the opportunity to either embrace the message of the kingdom with faith or to become more and more hardened to the message. Even if we don't initially understand the message, we have the choice to say, either I'm going to pursue trying to understand what this means, and I'm going to think about this, and I'm going to mull over this, and I'm going to maybe have some conversations, or I'm going to look up some resources. I'm going to try and get some help understanding this. We can have that approach, or we can say, eh, this is, this is too hard. It's not really worth my time, which leads us to become more and more hardened to the message. So in that way, the message of parables, they present us with a clear choice. And so just to sort of illustrate this with some parables that we're going to see in the book of Mark is you see Jesus giving, uh, we'll see this in two weeks, he gives this parable of the mustard seed and says the kingdom of God is like this teeny tiny little seed that grows up to be this garden bush. He doesn't say that it's going to grow up to be like the cedars of Lebanon or a giant oak tree or like some really impressive thing. He says the kingdom of God is this tiny little thing that grows up to be an invasive garden bush. And we can hear that and we can say, we can embrace the kingdom with faith or we can say, I don't want to be a part of a kingdom like that. If I'm honest, I don't want a kingdom that's small. I don't want a kingdom that's unimpressive. I don't want a kingdom that's like what Jesus says the kingdom is like. Right? So we can either embrace it or we can be hardened by it. The same thing is true in chapter 12 when Jesus tells the parable of the tenants in the vineyard. And it says that the religious leaders, they immediately knew that Jesus was telling this parable against them, right? Because it's, it's obvious. And so they in that moment had the choice, are we going to say, what in the world are we doing? Why are we treating Jesus this way? But instead, they choose to go out and continue to plot his death. And so there is either the choice for embracing the message of the kingdom with faith or 
the choice of being further and further hardened when you hear the simplicity and the clarity of parables. And so in this way, parables are both a means of judgment and a means of grace. So knowing that, how do we respond? What do we sort of do with this information here? Well, the way we respond, we get to see that in verse 24. Jesus says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This language of measuring. Uh, you measure something out and you get something in return. This is, this is language from the, uh, the commercial grain market. So this is, in a way, this is a marketplace sort of turn of phrase that essentially means you get back what you give. You put something in, you get something back. There's something proportional about it. And this is uh, similar to uh, what we might be familiar to. Uh, the early bird gets the worm. You know, you put in some amount of effort and then you get the worm, right? You, you put in some effort and there's a clear return on that. And that's the same kind of principle that Jesus is taking, except notice how he expands it. He doesn't just say, you get back what you give. What he says is, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So Jesus takes this sort of transactional thing and applies it to the message of the kingdom. And the message is essentially this. He says, when it comes to receiving and to embracing the message of the kingdom, you get back what you put in and even more. So this is not some like coldly transactional, you put in one thing and then God gives you proportionally back. No, this is not proportional. God gives you back in excess what you put in. Transactional, Jesus gives this parable, and, the, and, and it's not designed to tell us about a transactional God, but a God of grace, who doesn't just give us back what we put in, but actually gives us more than we actually deserve. And that is uh, some kingdom math right there, is you put something in and you get back more than even what you put in. And this is a way that we're supposed to approach parables. Realizing that whatever we put into it, whatever effort we put into it, there's going to be some sort of reward, there's going to be some sort of thing that we gain from all of the effort that we put in. Jesus then goes on to say in verse 25, whoever has will be given more. And if that's true, then the opposite is also true. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So there are those who receive the message of the kingdom, They receive it and they get back exponentially what they put in. And then there are those who receive the message of the kingdom, who hear it, and they are further and further and further and further hardened to that message. Jesus here in this last parable is holding out to us two different kinds of people. He's holding out two different ways of listening to Jesus. One is that we listen to to the message of Jesus and receive it and welcome it with faith and move closer to God. Another way is that that we hear the message and we are further and further hardened by it. And so the question is, which of those two kinds of people do you want to be? Do you want to be the person who receives the message of Jesus in a way that is fruitful? Or do you want to be the kind of person who receives the message of Jesus and it has a hardening effect on you? And so that's the, the sort of the picture that's put out here before us of we can choose either one of those. And so the teaching that Jesus has here leads us to this application 
choose the payoff of listening intently to Jesus. As you think about the parables of Jesus and uh, just the teaching of Jesus in general, this is, this is the, the idea here. This is the, the principle, is choose the payoff of listening intently to Jesus. Now, this passage doesn't tell us what the payoff is. <laughs> do you notice that? It doesn't say, okay, if you do this, you're going to get exactly this in return. No, it just says it's going to be measured back to you and even more. So there's a payoff, but we're not told what the payoff, what the gain actually is. We have to look to the rest of Jesus' teaching and to the rest of the New Testament and to the rest of the Bible to sort of fill in our understanding of what it is that actually comes to us in return as we hear the message of Jesus. But while we don't know exactly what the gain is here, we do know why there's gain to be had. And this is, I think, where, what's most important for us to see and where we have to sort of uh, land here today is we have to see why there's gain to be had. There's gain to be had because of who God is. There's grace even in the judgment of Isaiah chapter 6. Remember when the message that Isaiah was told to proclaim, be ever hearing and never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. At the very end of that commission, God says this, but as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So God is saying, like a tree being cut down, there's going to be a kind of cutting down of God's people through his discipline, but there's going to be a stump that remains there. There's going to be a remnant in the land. So even in the midst of that judgment, there's also grace that there is a remnant. Then later in Isaiah chapter 11, we see this beautiful picture where God says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots and branches will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So even in the midst of this coming judgment, God is promising, I'm not going to leave you this way. I'm going to send you someone who's going to be anointed by the spirit, who's going to live with the fear of the Lord. And of course, we know as we look to the rest of what the Bible teaches that that person is Jesus. So even the judgment that we see in Isaiah 6 also comes with grace as well. And the parables of the lamp and the measures are filled with grace. God has made himself known. God delights, he desires for the message of the kingdom to go forth to as many people as possible. And he doesn't just give us proportionally back what we put in. He gives us back in excess, which reveals something about his nature and his generous heart. And so the application for us then is to choose the payoff of listening intently to Jesus. Part of what this parable is supposed to do inside of us, I believe, is to cultivate, is to stir up a desire within us to be the kinds of people that listen well to Jesus. We will only listen well to Jesus and have a desire to listen to him if we actually see and recognize the nature and the character of God. That he is for our good, that he is gracious, that he is generous. It's only when we see that in the message of the kingdom, God has given that to us for our good and for our flourishing, even though there are aspects of life in his kingdom that, that sort of uh, you know, challenge us, that push back against the way that we might want to live. We see the nature and the character of God. We see his generosity given to us. And so that leads us to say, okay, uh, I trust him. And so I want to give myself to a life of fruitful listening to Jesus. I want to cultivate. I want to choose the payoff of listening intently to Jesus. 
And so that's what God would want for each of us here today is to say, I want to be the kind of person who listens intently to Jesus. As we come to the communion table today, we get to remember and celebrate that God has made himself known to us. That God has revealed himself not just in his written word, which is a gift beyond measure. He's also revealed us to us in his living word, in the person of Jesus, who came to suffer and to die and to give his life in place of ours so that we could be grafted into the family of God. And so we get to remember and celebrate that today. And that's a clear demonstration of God's nature and his character and that he desires our good. And because we know his nature, because we know his character, we desire to choose to give ourselves to a life of listening intently to Jesus. As we come to the communion table today, as we do each week, I'm going to leave just a few moments of space for quiet reflection and confession.